Let's start with prayer. Father, we are glad uh, to gather together tonight for something greater than ourselves. And yet, uh, even being here, I'm sure it seems to most of us that really what we're doing may not feel very great at all. It just might seem very simple. And yet, that is how you have designed it, that uh, the greatest things in the world are often accomplished by simple obedience. So most of all, whether great or simple, we simply do just want to be obedient. So I pray in this short time that you will help us to make sense of your word so that we might be uh, faithful to obey you above all else. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, can you do two things at once? Really one thing, but with two parts. Can you turn to two passages in the Bible at the same time? Let's find out. We're going to uh, begin tonight a, a new book. Uh, we want to spend the next few months in the New Testament book of Acts. So if you could turn to Acts chapter 1, that would be helpful. But also, this is going to be really tricky for you people with phones. Um, also, Isaiah because we just can't leave that alone yet, Isaiah 49. All right, so Acts 1 and Isaiah 49. So we're going to set the stage for the book of Acts, but we're going to look back at Isaiah once more. Nice. I didn't know. Now, uh, throughout the past few months, so last fall, August to December, as we worked our way through... Isaiah, what was maybe the main thing, or at least one of the main things we attempted to emphasize from Isaiah about God? What was the... Uh... <laughs> that was impressive. I'm sorry. It really was. Well done. Um, what was the main theme from Isaiah that we want? It was on the screen every week. Does anybody remember? It's a song we sing around here sometimes. God is mighty, mighty to save. Very good. Um, God is mighty to save. And so that whole theme of salvation from Isaiah uh, was something that we saw him emphasize week after week. And so then we tried to emphasize it as well. So the question is, how mighty was he to save? And, and, and to what extent was God able to save? Well, Isaiah 49.6 is one of those places that tells us. So Isaiah 49 Six. I'll start reading there where the quote starts. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. So, since that's too small a thing, I will make you as a light for the nations. How many nations? All of them. That my salvation may reach where? To the end of the earth, all over the place. My salvation is going to go how far? How mighty is it? It's going to go to the ends of the earth. His servant would be a light for not just Israel, but all the nations. Now, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Let's make a comparison here. This verse might be 
fairly familiar to most of you. I hope it is. Maybe uh, at least through Awana or some other way. Maybe you've come across this and memorized it. But Acts 1.8. You will receive power. This is Jesus talking to His disciples. You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as, as the witnesses are witnesses to the ends of the earth, what will spread? God's kingdom, God's salvation that He says will spread to the ends of the earth. So, God's going to accomplish this, but what's He going to use to accomplish it? Witnesses, right? So through Acts, we're going to think about this theme of witnesses, and particularly witnesses to the ends of the earth. So last week... Uh, along with a few different people in here, I attended uh, what was called the Cross Conference. And the focus of that conference for, for those three or four days was the theme of missions, this theme of being witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, that conference was not the main reason for this next study, but it does fit well because, because I want us, I think we need to recognize the role that God gives us, so you and me, all of us in this room, the role that we have in making Him known to the ends of the earth, because all of us are playing a part, or we should be playing a part. And whether or not you travel outside of the United States, you are playing a part, you have a part to play in making God known to the ends of the earth. And that role in God's plan is, I think, both greater than we realize that it is, but it's also simpler than we realize it is. So, we want to think about how great it is and how simple it is. So, um, Acts, the book of Acts that we're going to be looking at, is, is the sequel in some ways to all four of the Gospels, but it's, but it's especially a sequel to which one of the four Gospels? Do you know? What is it? Not John. Luke. Because who wrote the book of Acts? Luke did. So, the same author... Part 1 being the Gospel of Luke, part 2 being the book of Acts. Uh, Luke, as, as you probably were reminded uh, about a month ago or so during Christmas time, Luke actually starts even before Jesus was born with the birth of John the Baptist and then the angel coming to Mary and announcing that she would, uh, as a virgin, would have a son who would, be, uh, who would ra- uh, rise to the throne of God. And so then it, it talks about Jesus' birth. And then, of course, his life and his ministry and his teaching all the way up to his death and his resurrection. And, uh, and Joel actually just read for us what are about the last couple of paragraphs in, in the Gospel of Luke uh, with Jesus, again, saying, all the scriptures have pointed to me doing these things, and so now I'm sending you out as witnesses. So Luke shows Jesus fulfilling all of what Isaiah and the rest of the Old Testament says about him, and now Acts uh, focuses in on Jesus' followers, those who are called witnesses. So, what I want us to do tonight, and you should have a a bulletin there and some blanks to fill in, we're going to talk about four truths about those who are witnesses of Jesus. Four truths about those who are witnesses of Jesus. So, maybe you're here tonight, and you know, or at least you think yourself to be a witness of Jesus. You say, "I, I am His follower. I am a witness of Him and for Him. Maybe you're not so sure. Maybe you're not even sure what we mean by that. But either way, 
we're going to, uh, I think that by looking at these four truths, you'll get a better understanding of what it actually means to be a witness of Jesus and for Jesus. Here is truth number one. Witnesses serve Jesus as king. Number one, witnesses serve Jesus as king. So let's read these first few verses. Uh, Again, this is Luke writing. He's writing to a specific person, notice. He says, in the first book, what would that book be? Book of Luke. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So for 40 days, after Jesus came back from the dead, he mainly taught people about one thing. He taught about the kingdom of God. So this opening statement, Luke is reminding Theophilus, this guy, hey, I wrote you this first book. Here's what it was about. This is what Jesus did, and then this is what Jesus be, uh, began to do after he rose from the dead. And for 40 days, here's the subpoint. for 40 days, he taught about God's kingdom. And in teaching about his kingdom, he proved himself to be king. And all the gospels, so think about what you know about Jesus' life. And, and some of this probably you've learned from, from Luke. The gospel shows us that Jesus was a teacher. He was a Jewish rabbi. And so he knew the scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Uh, he would have explained those scriptures to those who followed him. But since it's Jesus teaching his followers about the scriptures, he was able to show that all of those scriptures pointed to him. He's the only rabbi that could say, all of what you're reading is about me. So, so where the Old Testament would have taught about God's kingdom, because even in the Old Testament we see God talking about a kingdom, don't we? Uh, Jesus would have taught those scriptures, and not just taught about the kingdom, but would have actually said something like, I am that king. And so, it shouldn't surprise us then, when we look down to verse 6, uh, the followers had a question. Look down at chapter 1, verse 6. So... When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, you've shown us you're the king. You've taught us the scriptures. Is now the time where you're going to actually sit on the throne and rule us as king? It's a fair question. That's what they wanted to know. Um, Jesus actually doesn't answer their question as directly as they would want. Uh, in fact, go back, go backward a little bit. Go to verse 4. Um, he had told them, verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to what? Yeah, to wait. Wait for the promise from the Father. So the promise is going to be fulfilled, and in verse 5 he tells that that promise is the Holy Spirit's going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to come. Uh, he had already taught in the, in, uh, you can read about it in John, he had told his followers, look, I'm going to go away, when I go away, I'm going to give you another helper, and that would be the Holy Spirit. So second sub-point there, Jesus gives power to serve him, so he's going to give power to his witnesses, so that they can serve him, and that power will come by sending the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' answer, look at verse 7, he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know. So, yes, it might be soon, 
or it might be a long time from now, it's just not for you to know. He doesn't really even give, doesn't really even give them any clues. So, so God has authority. It's not for us to know that authority. God's authority doesn't need to be fully known uh, to us. Maybe you have uh, seen on the news or read articles where people actually try to predict the coming of Jesus. Have you seen this? Um, it, it happens, really, since it happens at all, it's too often, but it happens pretty frequently um, where these people will somehow, and I don't even know the calculations they do. Uh, it doesn't matter because they're not right, but they'll do these calculations and they'll predict like actual dates and times. I remember um, very early on when I was... When I started working here, uh, we were doing like a spring retreat, and it was on Rapture Weekend. And so, you know, we had all these junior high kids, and I was like, look, uh, after 6 o'clock, I'm probably not going to be here. And nobody believed me, and they shouldn't have, and I was still here, and I still am here. But the point is, the reason we can't know is because Jesus himself says, you can't know. It's not for you to know. What we do need to know is that he's got it all worked out. He knows, the Father knows, He's got all power, and He shares that power with us by sending His Spirit to us, and what we read at the beginning from verse 8, why does He give us His Spirit? What kind of power does His Spirit enable us to have? To do what? To be His witnesses to the ends of the earth. We couldn't do that on our own. We need His power, so He gives us that power by sending His Spirit. And as we do that, as by His Spirit, we are witnesses to the ends of the earth. Jesus, now, this third sub-point there, reigns now in, uh, as King in heaven. Jesus reigns now as King in heaven, and He will come again. And when He comes again, He will set up that kingdom. We just don't know when that will be. So, so if you look in verse 9, when He said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, a cloud took Him out of their sight, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we call this, people call this the ascension. Jesus' ascension. He ascends back into heaven from whence he came. Four times in those three verses, you see that phrase, into heaven. The crowd was gazing into heaven because Jesus was taken up into heaven. And when he comes again, he will come from heaven to earth. Now, let's pause just a moment. I want to summarize uh, and, and try to apply what we've seen so far because we've actually seen quite a bit here at just the very beginning. So, the whole Bible, right? Old Testament, uh, and it's even summarized here in these verses, point to Jesus, points to Jesus as the fulfillment of of everything written up to this point. Everything that God planned to do throughout history, Jesus is the fulfillment of that plan. Jesus is that plan. He is God's plan for what's wrong with the world. And the Bible's clear about what's wrong with the world. You and I are what's wrong with the world. I'm what's wrong with the world. All of us. We're, we're, we're not the solution. We're the problem. God made us. God made people in His image. Uh, But you and I have turned from God, and we've tried to do our own thing. We've turned our own way. The Bible calls this sin. And all of our sins deserve to be punished forever in hell. But Jesus came. He came the first time. He came into the world to save sinners. He perfectly obeyed God the Father. And yet, 
even though he deserved no punishment because he had no sins, he took our punishment. He went to the cross. He laid down his life in our place. He died for us. And so for those who will turn from their sins and trust this work of Christ, there is forgiveness. You and I can be forgiven from our sins. We can have eternal life with Christ. It's basically what Christianity is all about. The Bible calls it the gospel. It's the good news. So the question for us in relation to, to serving Jesus as king is, is Jesus your king? Are you serving him as your king? Witnesses serve Jesus as king. Secondly, witnesses wait for the promises of God. Uh, so you remember verse 4? He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. So, how does the mission get started? You have to wait. It's not just go and go into all the world yet. It's wait. Wait for the promises of God. Jesus ascended into heaven. There's two specific ways uh, that they were supposed to wait as they waited for God to send the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see the disciples doing two things while they wait. First, the disciples were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. So starting in verse uh, 12, they returned to Jerusalem from a mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. They entered the upper room where they were staying, and you've got the, the list of all the um, apostles who were still with Jesus at that time. And then verse 14 says that all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, we're not specifically told, at least in this part, what they were praying for, what they were praying about. I suspect they were probably praying for the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus had said it would come. They know they're supposed to wait for Him to come. As soon as he comes, the mission can begin, so we just know that they are praying. second way that they were waiting is that as they were waiting, the disciples were committed to obeying the Scriptures. They were committed to obeying the Scriptures. Um, so you have this section starting in about verse 15, where Peter, one of the apostles, uh, gives a recap about how Judas, one of the disciples of Jesus, uh, had had died, and so now there's kind of a, a hole, you might say, in the apostles. They need a replacement, and so look at verse look at verse uh, sixteen. Peter's Peter starts this whole speech with the verse sixteen brothers. The scripture had to be fulfilled. The scripture must be fulfilled. So so he's trying to get their attention that like, look, guys, yes, we're down a man, but all this happened because of what scripture says. And so we're going to replace him in the way that Scripture says. So, so he actually quotes a couple of, of verses in the Psalms to show that how they need to go about to replace Judas. Now, now here's what I think that probably shows us is Peter had learned how to read the Bible the way Jesus taught him. All right? Jesus had said, all of this is about me. So Peter's now interpreting the Psalms as, okay, well, Judas had to die. Now we've got to uh, find a replacement. Here's how the scriptures predict that. Here's how it says to go about it. So they're trying to obey. Now, thinking, of, thinking about all this in, in how you and I wait, um, I'm not good at waiting. All right, I normally want the Lord to work very quickly. Uh, I, 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 normally, when I think about praying and reading the Bible as a way for you know to to accomplish something. Occasionally, I'm tempted to think, and maybe maybe you are too. I think we are sometimes tempted to think um, that well, if I 
if I pray and read the Bible, then I'm actually slowed down from going out and actually doing what God wants me to do. But in this instance, those two things, praying and focusing on Scripture, are exactly what they needed to do in order to be prepared to go out into the world and do that mission. If they if they'd just gotten ahead, if they hadn't waited and they're just going out on the mission, uh, they would have had a major problem because what didn't they have yet? The Holy Spirit. And so it was good that they waited, all right? Um, they, they, that's exactly what they needed to do. And so, so even services like this, again, I... I understand that what we're doing is very simple. Uh, praying, reading the Bible, singing. Um, and yet, I think those are the kinds of habits that we need to strengthen for us uh, collectively, but also individually, so, so that we know how best to obey. So, witnesses sometimes need to wait. Third thing, witnesses are filled with the Holy Spirit. Witnesses are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I'll read quickly from chapter 2 now, starting there at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, Pentecost uh, was an important Jewish holiday. This was 50 days after Passover. And on Pentecost, Jews from many different regions would assemble in Jerusalem, and they would celebrate this, uh, this day together. And so, so think about that. You have Jews from various regions. They, they probably all have different dialects, probably some, a lot of them even completely different languages. And, and yet they come, they're in Jerusalem now, so here's an opportune time for God to get His message into a lot of different languages very quickly. And so that's what He does. So, not all the Jews at the same time get the same Holy Spirit, though. Who receives the Holy Spirit first? Who? The people who'd met together and prayed. The disciples. So, right there in your notes, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. This was not just all Jews at one time receiving the Spirit. This is a distinct group of people. So again, we, we would say, even now, maybe even in this room, uh, for sure in the world, not all people have the Holy Spirit. Not all people do. Um, we, we see that even, even here, the way that people had to attain the Holy Spirit later. Now, with the Spirit also came gifts. Uh, what, what's, this, what's the specific gift that they have here, that these disciples have? What are they able to do? Speak in different tongues. Yeah, speak in different languages as, as the Spirit allowed them to do that. So you could write there in your notes that the Spirit's gifts caused confusion. Uh, understandably so. So verse 5, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of this, uh, at the sound of this multitude, they uh, came together and they were bewildered. Because each was hearing them speak in his own language. So, so you can imagine going to a place, if you've traveled especially to another country, and, and all you recognize is English, but you're used to hearing something other than English, and then somebody finally speaks English, uh, you're, you're probably going to seek that person out. Hey, I understand you. Where are you from? How, do you, how, can you, you know, how did you learn English? Or whatever the case may be. So these other people are, are not expecting to hear their 
dialect, and yet they hear it. And they're like, how is this possible? Now, uh, to be honest, this particular event and a lot of other attempts uh, that people try today to imitate this event are also very confusing. They do cause a lot of confusion. So I want to be as clear as possible with what all of this means. Now, thankfully, Peter does a lot of that for us in what he's about to say. So, next thing in your notes there, Peter's sermon, because he takes this as an opportunity to preach, his sermon provided clarity. In other words, he's going to clear things up for them. And there's more evidence here that Peter is reading the Bible the way Jesus would have taught him to, the way that all points to Jesus. So, first, he goes to the Old Testament book of Joel, the prophet Joel. Look at verse 16. As Peter's trying to explain this, here's what he tells those who will listen. Verse 16, he says, This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And here's the quote. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire, vapor of smoke, sun turned to darkness, moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall be, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, there's two things that Joel's teaching about here. He's teaching about the Holy Spirit and he's teaching about salvation. The Spirit's going to come and when the Spirit comes, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved no matter where they are from. Joel foresaw this day and Peter is now reading Joel to these people and he's saying, this is that day. That day has become, has come. And by the way, um, that day is not so much a day as it is a period of time because guess what? We still live in that day, don't we? Where God sends His Spirit upon certain people and when He sends that Spirit, they are saved so that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, look at how, look at how Peter clarifies all this. Here's what he says. So he, he quotes that from Joel and then he says this, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, so they knew this about Jesus, here's what he says, verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. There's two things there that are true that don't seem like they can be true at the same time. Did God ordain the death of Jesus? Was it God's plan? Yes. Were people guilty for nailing Jesus to the cross? Yes. Both of those things are true. Peter makes that very Clear, And he shows that because Jesus was raised from the dead, that what David said in the Psalms is also true. Okay, so uh, Christian helped us read Psalm 16 earlier, right? David says, you will not abandon my soul to the grave. Well, what's interesting is, is that as Peter is speaking, where's David? In the grave. So it seems like Peter might be wrong. And yet, Peter says, no. He's not wrong because David's not talking about himself. He's talking about Jesus who was raised 
from death because death was not able to hold him. Now, that's Peter's clarification. So all that to say, uh, if, if you are um, confused about times today where people attempt maybe to speak in tongues, maybe you've attended a church that does so, or you've seen uh, things on TV where people attempt to maybe recreate an event uh, like this, the reason a lot of times that it is confusing um, is is because they may or may not be actually be speaking in real languages. Um, now, sometimes, uh, can God miraculously allow you to understand a foreign language? I think maybe he can. I think there's parts of the world maybe where God does this. Um, Peter's not real clear on, you know, like, everybody should be able to do this. Like, he doesn't say that. Uh, so if you're like, oh, I can't speak in tongues, join the crowd. Uh, I think it's fine. But, but what it does show here is that God's Spirit was being poured out. And when God's Spirit was poured out, God was saving people. And, and, and God doing the work of saving people is a lot more important than whether or not you or I have a certain spiritual gift or not. So I think that was Peter's main point. As he preached this, uh, you could write there that his sermon brought conviction. Uh, you, you read at the, at the end of chapter 2, people saying, What should we do? If this is true, what should we do? And Peter says, repent and believe and be baptized. In that order. Repent, believe, and be baptized. And so those who did so received the Holy Spirit because the promise was for them. Look at verse uh, 40. Look at verse 40. And with many other words, he, what? He bore witness. With many other words, he bore witness because he's a witness. All right, Peter's modeling how to be a witness for Christ. Uh, maybe, either tonight or in other, at other times when you've heard the word preached, uh, you have been convicted by what you have heard. Um, maybe, maybe you tonight need to repent and believe. Um, maybe, maybe God is trying to get your attention. As, as God did this in this crowd, verse 41 says that 3,000 souls were saved that day. Um, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you already believe, but you're like, I'm not really sure how to, how to follow Jesus now that I am a believer. Uh, there, is, there is a next step. Here's that next step. This is the last thing for tonight. Number four, witnesses practice their faith in community. Witnesses practice their faith in community. So Acts is going to show us all throughout Christianity is not a religion for loners. It's not a religion for those who want to be isolated. Uh, Christianity is practiced when people join together in churches. Uh, it's very crucial. I won't go into a lot of detail at the end of the chapter here. We'll, I'll just note three things and, and we can read these uh, on our own. But first notice their priorities. The priorities, so when they got together, they had certain things they were about. They didn't just do whatever they wanted. It says they met for doctrine, so they taught together. They ate together, probably regular meals, but also the Lord's Supper. They prayed together. That's not very fancy. They ate and prayed uh, and discussed doctrine together. There was just a whole lot of helping people follow Jesus. Uh, not much else. The second thing you could put there is their generosity. They had everything in common. No one was greedy uh, they shared with each other so that they had everything in common. Nobody's trying to advance themselves. True Christian community looks for the good of others. And then lastly, their daily experience. 
verse 46 says that daily, day by day, they met together. Do you guys want to do this again tomorrow? Okay, we'll do it tomorrow. They did this every day. Now, they shared life together, okay? It wasn't just like they went to church together. They probably lived really close to each other, so they could share property, they could share meals, they could share goods, they could share money, uh, they could share doctrine, they could teach together. They did this every day. And it says that as they did so, God saved new believers every day. So, think about this. Uh, This is worth considering for yourself. Do you regularly attend a local church somewhere? Are you committed to it? So, you're here tonight. That's great. Continue to be committed, either here or somewhere else. Just be committed. Think about this. Why did God start this great mission to the ends of the earth by gathering people in churches? Why did He do that? Because He designed missions to be a team effort. All right. If you're interested in seeing people come to Christ, you will be a terrible missionary uh, if you are not regularly fed by and contributing to a local church. You will, you will not have much uh, success that way. We need each other for this. So, you might say, well, we haven't seen Jesus personally. Are we really witnesses? I think we are. We've seen what He's done, and we are on mission uh, with Him by the power of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. And part of that great mission, I said this was great and simple, part of that great mission is as simple as being committed here right now uh, so that we can equip one another uh, and invite others to to be committed as well so that we can be a witness for Him to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we, we trust Your Word to be true. Uh, we pray that You'll help us to see how these things we've read are not just true for the past, but the uh, relevance and the importance they have for our lives today. So as we break into groups now, I pray that you will um, help us to be challenged, but to challenge each other as well, uh, to think together about how best to to live out these things that you've showed us. Uh, We need your help, so we pray you'll give it. In Jesus' name, amen.